Hey there, this is John Swan, and I'm your host today for this special bonus edition of The Hive Jive. This bonus episode is brought to you by Wicked Bee. It's a hard knock life, it's a hard knock life for us, it's a hard knock life. La da da. Oh, oh, hi. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, guess what? It looks like you've stumbled upon another bonus episode. In today's episode, we're going to go through and we're going to be taking a look at the life of a worker bee. Now, the bee, the female bee, is what we refer to as the worker bee, and she is aptly named because she is the embodiment of the phrase, working yourself to death. That's right, this poor little girl has the hardest job in the entire colony. But we're not talking about just a single select few. No, no, no. When we talk about the worker bee, we're actually referring to 90% of your colony. That's right, the majority of the bees inside your colony are all female bees, and they all fall into the classification of worker bee. Now, given the time of year, this could be anywhere from 40 to 60,000 bees that make up that 90 percentile of the female worker population. Now, the female worker bee, she starts off as a fertilized egg, just like the queen bee. However, she doesn't get that special royal treatment, so she's not fed the copious amounts of royal jelly. She only gets a little bit for the first three days of development. And then after that, her sisters come in and they start mixing up the brood food that has the other nutrients. It has the glandular secretions that they mix with their bee bread. And the bee bread, again, is the pollen that they fermented to break open those pollen shells and make those nutrients more readily available. And they take all this and they mix it with some of the honey and it creates the brood food. And when they feed the brood food to the larva, if it is a female larva, it actually stunts them and kind of permanently dooms them to the worker class. It takes away that ability of them to be able to fully mature into a queen bee. So if we start at day one, again, just like we talked about with the queen, she starts off as an egg. So on day one, that egg is laid, and on days two and three, it still remains in the egg form. But somewhere on the third day, the egg actually hatches, and the larva comes out, and it's teeny, teeny, tiny. It's shaped like a tiny little sea laying in the bottom of the cell, and it's laying in some of that white liquid that is the little bits of the royal jelly mixed with the brood food. At this stage of development, the larva consists of the head and 13 ring-like segments that make up the remainder of its body. And it's going to go through this process where it eats copious amounts of food. Not necessarily the royal jelly, but just food in general. It takes in so much food and it takes it in so quickly that it actually has a very rapid growth and development cycle. And this takes place over the first five days of its life after the time that it hatched from the egg. In that five day period, every 24 hours, it increases its body weight six 
fold. That is an insane amount of increase for this development of this tiny little, well, at this point, it's not a bee. It's just a tiny little larva. They, they kind of look like a little worm. And as they've reached that fifth day development, they're so fat and plump and they're still curled up in that C shape, but they're so fat and plump that they actually take up the entire bottom of the cell. And when you look at them in this stage, they actually kind of look like a fat grub worm that you would find out in your yard or in your garden. Now this growth and development, it persists all the way up to the 10th day. And on the 10th day, another worker bee comes along and caps the top of that cell with a capping. And the capping is a mix of the wax and propolis and it kind of ends up looking like it's suede or a leather capping to the top of the cell. Now, once the cell is capped, the larva inside the cell elongates and stretches itself out and it starts the first stages of the metamorphosis process that it's about to go through. Just like a caterpillar, it's gonna spin its version of a cocoon and begin its pupation cycle. Now, during this pupation cycle, it moves away from the larva and it starts moving towards the stage that's called the imago. Now, the imago is once the larva has transformed enough that it actually starts taking on the characteristics of the eventual adult bee. This means that you can see the eyes developing, the legs, the wings, you can see the individual body segments. It no longer looks like the larva in the worm stage. It actually looks like a bee and it slowly gets its coloration. The fuzz starts coming in. It's going through those last stages of development. Now this developmental or metamorphosis stage takes from that 10th day when the cell is capped all the way up through the 21st day. So for the first 21 days of the bee's existence, it's going from the larva through the metamorphosis, the pupation into the imago, and then eventually that 21st day, it hatches out as the adult worker bee. Now, right off the bat, this poor girl doesn't have any help. She has to chew her way out of her cell. She's got to pull her body out of this extremely snug, tight fit that that cell has formed. And she's got to get out of there. Now, when she does, a lot of times you can see this when you're going through and you're checking your hive, you will actually see the worker bee and you'll see them in stages where they've started to chew through and their little antennae are moving around and other stages where they're actually pulling themselves out. And you'll notice they're, they're very much kind of like a velveteen bee at that point. They're very soft and they're very fuzzy, but that fuzz is still matted down. It hasn't actually poofed up yet. And the bee, this is the first time the bees ever had other appendages. So it has to get used to its body. It's got to figure out how to use the legs and how to use the wings. And it's very, very, very clumsy. It's a very awkward stage for the worker bee. She comes out, she kind of wobbles this way and wobbles that way. And that unsure, unstable, steady movement is also a good way to spot these baby bees. They're the ones that are kind of walking around like they're drunk, but yet they look all soft and fuzzy and cute and just fresh. But again, day one, the work starts. So not only did she have to chew herself out of the cell and she had to pull herself out without any help from her sisters, she now has her very first chore. That's right. Just like any other good kid, it's time for you to go clean your room. So in that that's exactly what she has to do. She starts becoming the first stage of cleaning bees. Now, these bees are the ones that go through and they're responsible for cleaning up the bottom of the cell, 
cells, making the cells ready for the queen to come back through and lay another round of eggs. They also go through and they prep cells that can then be used to store pollen or store nectar. They have all these cleaning jobs. They also need to clean away little debris that they find in there, which can also include eggs and larvae from other nuisance pests that can get inside your hive, such as the hive beetles and the wax moths. These bees go through and they do all the cleaning that they possibly can. Now that stage of life lasts for just a few days into a week, and then they start in that middle period there, they start transitioning over into what's called the nurse bee. Now, once they get old enough to be a nurse bee, now follow along here with what I was saying, as they get old enough, as they age, their job titles actually change. So they're not just one thing and that's what they do their entire existence. They actually move through all the different jobs of the hive as they get older. So they started off as the cleaning bee, but now they've advanced and they've, they've graduated, we'll say, to the nurse bee. The nurse bee is responsible for going through and taking care of all of the rest of the larvae inside the colony. They are the nurses that feed them, they tend to anybody who's sick, which may also mean removing them from the hive. They go through and they make sure that the queen is clean. Now the queen has her own little royal court of nurse bees, and they go through and they clean the queen, they groom her, they feed her, and while they're doing this process, they're also taking the pheromones off of the queen, and they're spreading those pheromones throughout the colony to all the other bees, and that's how the bees know that the queen is in good health and that the colony is in good shape. So this stage, the nurse bee stage, is very vital. It's very important. They're making the food. They're feeding the young. They're taking care of all of the brood that will eventually be the next generation of bees. And there's a lot of brood because as we discussed in the episode about the queen, she can lay up to 2,000 eggs a day in peak production, which means there's a lot of little baby mouths in there that need to be fed. Once the nurse phase starts to fade out, you're in this transitionary period where it's about a week and a half since that bee emerged as an adult, and they've started to invigorate their wax glands. That's right, I said wax glands. The bees actually make the wax inside their body. It's a byproduct of a sugar overload from eating the nectar and the honey. And this byproduct is secreted out between the exoskeleton plates, and it comes out in these thin little sheets that are wax scales. Now they use that wax to turn around and build everything inside their colony. So unlike a wasp who goes out and forages for the stuff that it needs to build its home, Home, which mainly is paper that it chews up off of bark and dead plants, the bee physically generates and makes the wax that then makes up the structure of the entire hive. Now the process that begins after that kind of goes into like a construction bee phase. So they're able to generate this wax and to make the wax that they need, but now they actually have to put it into practice and use it as a building material. So they do what is called festooning. Now festooning, the definition of it is actually a chain or linked together. And when we use it in beekeeping, we're referring to a living chain of bees. These bees festoon and they hang on each other from the top part of the surface where they're gonna build the next comb. 
and they start pulling the wax off of their sisters that are around them because they've now formed basically a living scaffolding and they reach up and they pull the wax down and they chew it up. They make it malleable and they pass it on up the chain through their sisters until they get up to the top and the bees up there at the top, they then take it and they start molding it and they apply it to the top surface with a little bit of propolis to help it stick really well. And then the construction of that comb truly begins and they build both sides of the comb at the exact same time. They build it coming down and they build it going out and it just grows and expands to fit the shape of the space as the bees go through and they build this. Now, depending on how many resources are coming in and the time of the year, the bees can actually build a single wax comb at a very impressive rate. But as younger bees start to dissipate, if you're not having a lot of laying going on because the season may be getting later or for the same reason, the season's getting later and therefore there's not a lot of food coming in, this building process will slow down and eventually come to a halt as you go into either the summer dearth or even the winter dearth where there's no food available. At that time, they're not expending these resources to go through and build. Instead, they're conserving those resources to generate heat or to survive and have enough food to feed the babies through these dearth periods. Now, this conservation of energy and conservation of resources is very, very crucial because the act of making wax is extremely resource dependent and resource heavy. This means that if you take it and you do an equation with it, it's roughly 10 pounds of honey that it takes to then generate and convert over into one pound of wax. That is a lot of demand on the resources of the colony. And that honey is also their food stores for winter and through these dearths. So they've got to manage that very, very carefully. So once we move out of the architecture phase and we're, we're no longer a construction bee, well then our paths and our job options open up and we've got a couple of different choices here. We can either be a garbage bee an undertaker bee, which is really the PC way of saying it is a sanitization specialist bee. Now at that phase of life, the worker bee would be responsible for going through and carrying out and disposing of any dead bodies or larger things that have gotten inside the colony that need to be cleaned out of the colony. And that's their job. Oftentimes when you open up the lid of your colony and you're doing an inspection, you may actually see one of these undertaker bees or sanitization specialist bees go through and grab one of the old dead bodies that's in there and carry it up the side or start flying or attempting to fly. Sometimes it's a little cumbersome, but they'll latch onto it and they'll try to fly up out of there. They'll fly out of the colony, drop it, and then fly back. If they're not working as an undertaker or a garbage or sanitation bee, then their job is going to be to guard the colony. They'll become the guards or the guard bees. Now, those are the bees that you're going to see around the peripheral edges of all of the frames, especially if it's a frame where the queen is at. They're going to be in a higher concentration because they've got to guard the queen and they guard the brood. They're also the bees that are going to be found around the entry points anywhere that can access the hive itself to get into the colony. Those bees are the colony's first line of defense against any type of foreign invader or intruder. So they're responsible for vetting all of the bees that come in there to make sure they carry the same pheromone signatures and the same scent of the hive to know whether or not they actually belong to that colony or if they're a possible intruder trying to come and rob out their hard-earned resources. If they deem that it is an intruder, they emit a pheromone that's an alarm pheromone 
and it puts the rest of the colony on guard, and they're all ready to defend the hive with their lives. This could mean a full-scale attack where they come out and they use every resource and every possible method they have from biting and chewing and dragging to physically stinging. Now, if it's an insect that has caused this intrusion, the bees don't always sting and the sting doesn't always kill that insect. Also, when they sting, the stinger does not always stick. So let's take a look at the adult bee's anatomy real quick. Now that she's a fully developed bee and no longer in the larva, pupa, or imago stages, she has some very specialized aspects to her body. She has these nice little divots on the sides of her legs that we call the pollen baskets. And in the center of these pollen baskets are these very stiff, bristly hairs that are larger than the regular fuzz on her body. This is where she goes through and places the pollen to be carried back to the hive. Inside the joints of her legs in the knee, now we've all heard the bee's knees, I'm about to tell you what is so special about the actual bee's knees. In the knee structure, she has what's called the pollen comb and the pollen press. And she uses these two things in conjunction with each other. As she goes through and grooms herself, she uses that comb to rake the pollen off of her fuzz and turn around and then uses the pollen press to pack it down. And then she moves it back and puts it back into that pollen basket. When she has a good, decent sized load of pollen, it'll look like she has bloomers on, you know, and it can be orange and yellow and red reds and greens and purples. Pollen comes in all kinds of colors, but she kind of is in, you know, she's all fancy. She's got these little bloomers and she's looking all cute. And, you know, she goes back home with the pollen. But anyhow, that's just one of the special adaptations that the worker bee has. One of the other things is the fact that her stinger, unlike the queen stinger, is actually barbed and serrated. Now that, it, I mean, it sounds a little drastic because it is drastic. This is an actual weapon that she uses to defend the colony and she does it with her life on the line. Now the stinger itself is a lot more complex than you might actually think. It's not a single piece. It's actually two separate pieces that lay flush against each other that come down into that point. And these pieces are hooked to a muscular structure at the end of the stinger that will move side to side, which causes that stinger to move up and down along the side of itself. This action, in correlation with the serrated nature and the barbs on the stinger itself, caused the stinger to burrow into fleshy matter. Now, as this is all happening, when she stings, that stinger begins this process and begins burrowing down in there. And she does a very quick corkscrew where she spins around and then she launches off. And in doing so, this is where the sting itself becomes fatal to the bee. As she launches off and she pulls herself away, she's actually ripping out the internal organs inside her abdomen. The venom sac comes out, the muscular structure that's moving the stinger comes out, and sometimes other pieces of her intestinal tract come out along with it. So the act of stinging is definitely a one-for-all type move. It is my life for the betterment of the entire colony to make sure that you survive as a colony. The colony survives. So so when she does this, it's the fatal, fatal last ditch, but she's very valiant. She may still have a couple of breaths of life left in her, and if she does, she's going to use those 
pounding into the thing that she just stung repeatedly because it will make them feel like there's more bees attacking them than there really are. It could just be that one bee and that one sting, but she's going to hit you eight or nine more times to make you think there's eight or nine more bees out there assisting her. So she really does go out with a fighting effort and she gives it all she's got to the very end. Now, if the worker bee survives this guard stage of life and she survived all the stages that come before it, she then finally graduates to the forager bee. Now, the forager bee is the one that we're all very familiar with. That's the one we see day to day out there in the world going out and collecting all the pollen. They're also responsible for collecting really any of the resources that need to come back to the colony. So they go and they forage for water to bring in and help cool the hive down when it's too hot outside. They go out and they forage for saps and resins that they find from trees and that's what they bring in and they condense down and use to make the propolis that they use as a glue and a sanitization and antiseptic and antifungal kind of thing that they go through and coat the hive with as their Basically, it's their bee glue and their first aid kit kind of all in one. This is all the responsibility of the forager bee. Now, at that stage, when they have graduated to the forager stage, it sounds like they've done a lot of things. And in the bee's life, it really is a lot. But from our perspective, at this point, it's only been three weeks since the time they emerged as that adult bee. And that three-week mark is the marking point of the last three weeks of their life. So from that stage on, when they become a forager, it is only an average of three weeks that they have left to live. Now, this isn't because of other things. It's literally because they're going to work themselves to death during this last phase of life. And that is exactly what happens when they go out there and they're carrying back this nectar. They carry it inside their honey crop or their nectar crop, just like a chicken has their crop and then their stomach. The bees as well, they also have two stomachs and the first one is called a crop. It's basically a sack inside the body that is before the stomach. And as they take in the liquid, that sack fills up and they can use it to then transport this liquid back to the colony. So if they're carrying a physical solid product like wax that they're stealing from somewhere else or pollen that they found, they're going to go through and they'll pack that into the pollen baskets on their legs. But if it's liquid, they carry it inside that honey crop inside the body. Now, if they're carrying honey inside them or nectar inside them or water and they're carrying pollen on their legs, they've drastically increased their body weight and they now have to carry this all the way back to the colony. Now, now, the act of flying itself, this is really where the main effort comes in. It is so physically demanding upon the body of the worker bee just to fly on its own without this extra added weight. So when you put all that together and you have this bee making hundreds of trips to all these flowers back and forth throughout the day and making numerous trips back and forth to the colony and then going out and visiting hundreds of more flowers, it's very, very taxing on the bee. And so if you took it and you equated it into the same concept as like your vehicle or your car, the engine and the alternator and all these things, they have a set amount of mileage that they can go before things start breaking down. And the bee is the very same way. So if you took that analogy, the bee only has roughly 500 miles on average that it can fly and do all of this stuff before one of two things happens. Either one, its wings tear, and if it tears, it can no longer fly. So that is pretty much a death sentence right there. It can't make it back to the colony. It no longer has the support of its sisters to guard and protect it and keep it warm. And it's now exposed to the elements. So more than likely, that bee is not going to last much longer. The other thing that's going to happen, and this one's a lot more drastic, but the bee's heart 
can literally stop. So they can actually work themselves to the point of having a heart attack after they have done this so many times. So their ultimate sacrifice after taking care of the entire colony, defending the colony, everything, they literally die in the act of bringing the vital resources that the colony needs back so that colony itself can continue to thrive and to grow. So if you were a worker bee and you were born anytime in the spring and summer months, this whole almost horror story that we've just laid out here, this is your life path. This is what's gonna happen to you as a worker bee. But there are two distinct versions of worker bee and it's all dependent on the seasons or the time of year. So basically, if you weren't born in the spring or the summer and you were lucky enough that you were actually born in mid to late fall, you would be called a winter bee. Now winter bees are also dubbed fat bees because they literally have more fat deposits inside of their body. These extra fat deposits allow them to have a little bit more energy reserve and they physically look a little bit plumper than the regular worker bee that you'd see in the spring and summer. And these winter bees are very, very crucial to the colony and to you for your colony's success. It is their job to help form the winter structure and the cluster that is gonna go through and vibrate and generate this heat that the bees need so that they can stay warm during those cold winter months when they can't get out and do anything else. So they're gonna go through and they're gonna huddle together. They find open pieces of cells on the comb and they shove their heads down in there and they burrow their bodies in. And those bees and the cells, they start vibrating and they generate the heat. And then the other bees form around them and they vibrate and they generate the heat. And then more bees form around them until you have this giant spherical cluster inside the hive that's very tight, very densely packed full of bees. And the ones in the center of the structure that are getting warm, they then move to the outer parts of this cluster. And the ones on the outer parts that are cold, they cycle into the center parts and they warm up. And this is pretty much what the entire winter season looks like for your bees. They don't do any flying, so they're not actually expending near as many resources as they would otherwise. But they are still vibrating, which does still burn energy. And that's why the honey being the sugar source or the fuel and the energy for the bees, this is their carbohydrate basically. That is why it is so important. They actually go through when it's warm enough and they eat little bits of that honey and they feed everybody and then they come back and when it gets cooler, they go back into that cluster and they just keep vibrating and they just keep making that warmth. So the winter bee, in contrast to the spring and the summer worker bee, the spring and summer bee, just to recap, it only has a max maximum lifespan from the time it emerges to the time it dies of roughly six weeks in total. But that winter bee, that winter worker bee, the fat bee, that bee's lifespan can actually last anywhere from three to four months, depending on how the season goes. And so there's a big change in there that actually is attributed to having these extra fat stores. So if we had to go back and we had to look at it, we could definitely say that if you were gonna have to be a worker bee, you probably should try to choose to be the fat winter bee because that's your best chance at having a little bit longer of a life. Now, even four months sounds like a long time in the bees world, but really to put it into perspective, let's look back real quick on the queen. The queen bee can live for up to five years. So even if you're the winter bee, you still don't have the best chance of the longest life in the colony and you are the one responsible for doing 
everything. You've got to take care of everyone. So that's just kind of how it is. And that's also why at the beginning of this episode, you might have noticed a little song in there. And that is basically if we had to pick a theme song for the worker bee, that's what it would be. It's a hard knock life. Yes, it is a hard knock life for the worker bee. That is today's bonus episode. And I really hope that you've gotten a little bit more understanding and knowledge about the worker bee and how she interacts with the colony and how crucial she is to the overall health and well-being of your bee colony. Now, we're going to be doing these bonus episodes throughout the season, and they're going to be released sporadically here and there as they come up. And we're going to use those opportunities to go in and focus in on a very key special subject, just like we've done today with the worker bee and as we did previously with the queen bee. So watch for those bonus episodes whenever they pop up out there. But more importantly, keep your eye out for that next regular episode where Ken and myself will be back to give you more Hive Jive. 